Our second reading is from Matthew 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so this week we are a step back from last week. So last week we heard Matthew's uh, Christmas story, the telling of Jesus being born at the end of chapter 1. So Matthew, I think it was verses 18 to 25 of chapter 1. This week we are hearing the very beginning. These are the 17 verses that we missed uh, out on last week, and it's a genealogy of all things. Now, there's genealogies all throughout uh, Scripture, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, at the beginning of First Chronicles, there's a genealogy that's 10 or so chapters of just name after name after name after name. If you've ever uh, gone to read through uh, the Bible, a common complaint that I hear is, you know, you, you're doing just fine, and then you get to these lists of names, and there's no story attached to it, and there's no context, and, and it's just, you know, genealogy after genealogy, and it's just kind of a slog to get through, uh, even when they're pronounced as well as Anne pronounced them. So why does Matthew start with a genealogy? I mean, they seem to be about the least popular thing in Scripture, and yet here he is beginning his gospel with a genealogy of all things. Well, I should say uh, genealogies are pretty unpopular. People don't like to read genealogies unless, of course, it's their own 
genealogy. Have you noticed that? Uh, so, I mean, uh, there's this, what, 23andMe and the Ancestry and all of these DNA kits that are available now. So you can uh, mail in your DNA and they'll trace back your lineage and they can see what part of Europe or, or wherever in the world your, your ancestors were, however many thousands year, of years ago. And, uh, and those, even though they are just lists of often not even names, just sort of uh, people, groups, or even languages sometimes, and there's no story attached to it, we still find that fascinating. If any of you have done family tree work, uh, working back on your family tree, or if you have somebody in your family whose work you benefit from, you know that even though you just get a list of names and dates and regions, it still seems to tell you something about yourself. You find a little bit of something about your history. Oh, I wonder if this is why, you know, grandma had this piece of furniture in her house because it came from this part of the country or, or whatever it is. There's these stories that you can kind of make and kind of uh, figure out even if there doesn't seem to be much detail there. So Matthew tells this genealogy, I think for a similar reason, because it tells us something about who Jesus is and who Jesus came to be. But if you look at it, if you uh, read it uh, carefully, you'll notice there's some oddities to uh, Matthew's genealogy here at the beginning of his gospel. Uh, One of them's pretty obvious, and uh, so right at the end of the genealogy itself in verse 16, uh, it says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So we have this genealogy traced all the way nicely down to Joseph, and then doesn't quite make the jump to Jesus. He's the husband of Mary, but he's not the father of Jesus. If Jesus took a DNA test and sent it off to 23andMe or or whatever, the uh, ancestry that he would get would not actually be what's here. Probably there'd be some overlap if you go far enough back. Mary was uh, an Israelite as well, uh, probably a descendant of David as well. but you wouldn't get quite what Matthew gives here. So this isn't a genetic uh, genealogy in the way that we think of them today, which, of course, they didn't have any idea about DNA or any of those sorts of things. But still, you already run into a little bit of a problem. So there's a little bit of a, a strangeness there. Another oddity that you run across in Matthew's genealogy, when you read it next to, say, Luke's genealogy of Jesus, or next to some of the genealogies of the kings, uh, like that long one in First Chronicles I mentioned, you'll notice that Matthew's genealogy is a little bit different from Luke's, and it's also a little bit different from those ones. It seems that Matthew has kind of picked and chose. You know, he has that line at the end, uh, there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, he says, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 from the exile to the Messiah, it all lines up pretty nicely. Except if you read Luke's genealogy, it takes 40-some to get to uh, David, so that 14 doesn't quite work out so well. Uh, If you go back to Chronicles, there's definitely more than 14 kings between David and the Babylonian exile. In fact, you can see which ones that Matthew has uh, skipped. He skips a few generations here and there. It almost seems like Matthew's more interested in giving a genealogy that tells us something about Jesus than he is in sort of actually tracing the family tree. So this genealogy is maybe... I don't want to go too far this direction, but you could think of it as sort of a symbolic genealogy, that Matthew here is laying out a story for us to, uh, as a way of understanding who Jesus is, even if the genetics of it already don't quite work out in the way that we would think of it, and even if uh, the exact uh, 14 generations piece that Matthew has laid out, uh, again, doesn't line up even with other pieces in Scripture. So there's something else going on here. 
So why is Matthew telling this kind of genealogy to us at the beginning of his gospel? Well, one of the things we don't really know, uh, but one of the things that we think about Matthew's gospel is it seems that Matthew is writing to Jews. So there's little clues. Now, we don't have, uh, you know, none of the writers of the gospels left us their notes about why they wrote their account in certain ways. So we're guessing as we look at it. But as you read through Matthew's gospel, you notice that he always has these particular emphases on uh, things that would be uh, of interest to Jewish Christians or maybe Jews who weren't Christians but were sort of considering what this Jesus thing uh, was about. And so Matthew is very careful, uh, we heard this last week, to always be connecting to Old Testament prophecies uh, to Jesus. So we heard this, uh, the virgin will be with child, they will call his name Emmanuel. Uh, We heard that last week. prophecies like that are always showing up in Matthew's gospel. This happened to fulfill this. This happened to fulfill that. This happened for this other thing. Matthew is interested in showing this continuity of Jesus with the Hebrew Bible, with the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus is the continuity of God's engagement with God's chosen people of Israel. And so you could see, perhaps, why Matthew tells a genealogy that starts with Abraham. So, Matthew has structured his genealogy to be three different kind of epochs of Israel's history, right? So there's 14 generations, or 14 generations in Matthew's counting uh, in each of these. He says, you know, from Abraham to David, then from David to the exile, and then the exile finally to Jesus the Messiah. And if you think back, we've been in the Old Testament for these past few months, so uh, if you think back, we know some of the stories of those different uh, eras or epochs in Israel's history. So Abraham, what happened with Abraham? He was called out of his homeland. He was taken to a land that he did not know. He was promised descendants. He was promised that this land would be an inheritance for all of the many nations that would come from him. But there was a problem. Do any of you remember the problem? Yeah, he was old and childless. He was old and childless, and his wife was also old and childless. There was no child for whom these descendants would come. And then the story, really, from Abraham all the way to David is of God fulfilling this promise. Because Abraham, of course, as we heard, is the father of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, who is also known as Israel. From Jacob come all of the tribes of Israel. But then, of course, there's slaves in Egypt. We remember this. Uh, There's the story of the exodus, of going back out into the wilderness, of receiving the law and the covenant, of wandering for 40 years, of finally being brought back into the land, uh, and, uh, and then finally being established with a king, uh, Saul. And then when Saul doesn't work out so well, then David comes. So you could think of this first section of Matthew's genealogy of saying, remember that time when God made a promise to Abraham, and then remember how he fulfilled it in David? Well, then what happens after David? Things seem pretty well with David. Uh, Then Solomon comes around. Solomon is this very wise king, although he's uh, not the most faithful of kings. And uh, do we remember what happens after Solomon? The kingdom splits. And now there are two kingdoms, uh, one in the north, one in the south. And uh, over and over again, if you read through the books of First and Second Kings, every king is evaluated by whether or not they were faithful to Yahweh, and almost all of them weren't. Uh, very few of them were. There were a couple, uh, couple standout good ones. There's also one really bad one in Jerusalem who is listed here, Manasseh. Uh, but over time, as Israel keeps uh, falling away from God, what is God allowed to happen? the Babylonian exile. So the northern kingdom gets wiped out by the Assyrians, and about a century later, the southern kingdom gets wiped out by the Babylonians, and they even destroy the temple 
which David's son Solomon had built. So as you're reading through this second 14 generation uh, section in the genealogy, this is now the story of uh, Israel's received the promise from God. God has made this promise to David, which we heard in the Psalms. One of your ancestors will always sit on the throne, or one of your descendants, rather, will always sit on the throne. And we watch it sort of be squandered away until finally the Babylonian exile, the temple itself is destroyed, Jerusalem is sacked, and it seems like there really isn't any hope. So then the last 14 section generation, uh, 14 generation section goes from the exile in Babylon to the promise of the Messiah. And why would the Messiah be so important to a people who had been exiled to Babylon, do you think? What does it mean if God doesn't fulfill this promise? God said there will always be a, answer, or a descendant of David on the throne. God said, my anointed one will reign over you, that there will be one on whom, uh, who will sit on the throne forever. And yet, the Babylonians have destroyed the temple. Now, even after they come back, uh, they're always subject to some foreign power, whether it's the Persians uh, or the, the Greeks for a while, and Alexander comes through. There's a, about a century or so period where they are independent, but they don't have a king during this time. Uh, and then the Romans come in, and now they're at the time of Jesus. Matthew says, here is the answer to that promise. So Matthew gives us a genealogy which traces uh, the history of God's dealings with Israel and places Jesus right at the uh, current of this is now what God is doing for you, Israel. So that this genealogy actually isn't as important as being Jesus's ancestry so much as it is the ancestry of the people to whom he's talking that it's the ancestry or the history of God's dealing with these people. But then there's something else strange about this genealogy, and you maybe wouldn't realize this, but anytime you read uh, ancient genealogies, it's very rare for women to be included. It's very rare that there are mothers uh, named in genealogies. It happens a couple times in scriptures, but, but not very often. Uh, but if you notice, especially in the first section, uh, there are five women named, including Mary, five women named in this ancestry of Jesus, which is a pretty high number. And if you look at them, uh, three, possibly four of them, are foreign women. They're not Israelites. So going through the genealogy, Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac of Jacob, Jacob of Judah, and then it says Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar, uh, you can read her story. It's not a very child-friendly story, so I'll warn you ahead of time. You can read her story in Genesis 38, Genesis chapter 38, and it's a, it's a great story. It's got all sorts of twists. It will leave you with more questions than you started with uh, when you went to read it. Uh, but this is, it's the story of, of Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar, so you already get a sense there's something strange going on here, uh, but through whom uh, these two twins come, who end up being in the lineage of David and of Jesus. The next uh, woman that's named here is Rahab. Does anybody remember the story of Rahab, who Rahab is? So Rahab, uh, when uh, the Israelites are coming out of the wilderness, they're coming to enter into the land, uh, there, there's these spies that are sent out. And a couple of these spies end up in the city of Jericho. And uh, while they're there, it uh, seems that the leaders catch wind that something's going on and they're seeking these spies to kill them. And so they stay at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. 
And Rahab makes this deal, you know, I'm going to hide from you. I know that God has already given the land uh, into your people's hands. Uh, and she says, but please just, uh, when, when you come and you take Jericho, spare me and my family, spare me and my household. And they say, we will do this. And so it is. When the walls of Jericho fall, uh, Rahab uh, and her household are spared. Well, here we find out Rahab becomes the father of Boaz. Now, the next woman is Ruth. And Ruth, remember Boaz, Ruth is also a foreigner. She is a Moabite. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Uh, Naomi had gone with her husband and her sons uh, into Moab during a drought in Israel. And while there, her husband and her sons died, but after having married uh, Moabite women. And one of her daughters-in-law stays with her family in Moab, but Ruth will not leave Naomi, and she comes back to Israel with Naomi. And uh, there has to be some uh, wheeling and dealing uh, that happens, but she ends up being able to marry this relative of Naomi's Boaz, and she becomes the great-grandmother of King David. So, so far we have three foreign women in the uh, sacred genealogy of Jesus. And Matthew, remember, he's being choosy here. He's editing. He's not picking every generation, but he's chosen these three specifically. And then who's the next woman? She's actually not named. David was the father of Solomon by whom? The wife of Uriah. Now, we had that story a couple of months ago. This is Bathsheba. Uh, This is the woman who David saw bathing on the rooftop, and he took her because he desired her. And then when he couldn't get uh, Uriah to come and cover up the affair after Bathsheba became pregnant, uh, he had Uriah murdered, right, in battle. He had him uh, to go forward in battle and, and gave orders that the rest of the troops would pull back from Uriah so that Uriah would be killed. And then he took uh, Bathsheba as his wife. Bathsheba now becomes uh, one of the ancestors mentioned here by Jesus. The inclusion of these women and these stories, I mean, all of them, uh, Ruth is the most uh, polite of these stories, I would say, but even Ruth has a little bit of interesting things happening go- going on. There's this uh, scene at the threshing floor. Uh, you, go, you can go back and read Ruth. Uh, that's a little unclear what exactly is happening there. Uh, but the fact that Matthew includes these stories also tells us something about who Jesus is. So Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's coming not just for the Jews, not just for the righteous, but for something more than that. You see, this is the place where the genealogy really becomes not just a, uh, somebody else's genealogy, but becomes our genealogy. Because in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah to the Jewish people, we Gentiles get grafted in, just as God has been grafting in Gentiles all the way back uh, with uh, Tamar, just the granddaughter-in-law uh, of Abraham. God has always been about bringing others in to this chosen people, and in Jesus Christ, we are now brought in to this chosen people. So that this list of ancestors, of names that are hard to pronounce, of all sorts of names that we don't even uh, you know, know any details, don't know where they lived, when they lived, anything really about them, it becomes not just Jesus' ancestry, but our ancestry through adoption, just as Jesus was adopted by Joseph. This promise that God has made to Abraham, to David, to the people in exile, all the way down through Mary and Joseph and Jesus, is now the promise that God is making to you. 
so that whichever of these epochs of Israel's history you feel yourself to be in, whether you're on your way to the promised land, whether you are squandering away the blessing you've been given, whether you feel that you are in exile, God's promised Messiah is still here for you. That the promise of Christmas is the promise of forgiveness of sins for you because God has been pleased to dwell with you. Whatever your sordid history, whatever your uh, inner uh, thoughts and feelings you would like to keep to yourself, God has come to dwell with you. This is the point of Christmas. This is the point of uh, this genealogy in Matthew. In fact, this is the gospel. Because Jesus Christ was born, not to judge you, but to save. Amen.